This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. John chapter 15, verse 8. We're going to go from 8 to 14. John chapter 15, verse 8 to 14. And it's actually going to be a follow-on from last week's sermon. We had... um, we had Jesus implicitly challenge Peter and just call him out, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And then, he, and then two other times he, he hits him with it. And it was really quite confronting for Peter. He even got a little bit stressed out towards the end. And I just want to do a follow-on on that because it's a challenge to us. It's one thing to look at Peter's life but it's a completely other thing to then put ourselves in that place of loving Jesus. And what does that mean to you? What does that do for you? Does it change you? Or is it, is it just lip service from, from Jesus? If today's sermon had a, a title, it would be A Love to Eclipse the World. That's what we need a love that eclipses the world. But I want to start by saying there is no such thing as a cookie-cutter faith. Like, we are not machines. You do not get saved, and then you go from here to here to here to here. It's not like that. I know I've got people laughing right now because it's like all of us have this. It's sort of like I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and then it goes like this. It's just all over the shop. Like, it's wild. Um... You have highs, you have lows, you have seasons of drought, seasons of rain. But there is a way to exceedingly grow your faith. But from last week, we'll just go with maybe what not to do, and then we'll work towards what to do. How to exceedingly grow your faith, because I believe that's where Jesus was going here with Peter. So there was, a, there was a whole bunch of sad unfaithfulness at the point of Christ's resurrection. You're like, Dan, there's nothing sad about Christ's resurrection. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. Not with the resurrection, but with all the people, the closest people in his life that surrounded him, his family, his mother, his own brothers, the disciples. It was really, really sad. And Why? After all the miracles, after all the promises that he would come back from the dead, not one of them expected him to actually do it. They still had in their mind an earthly understanding of the king of Israel and what he might look like, and that death is the end. It was the end of his ministry. And that is true. Every other time in history, Death is the end of your ministry, of your group, of your clan, whatever it may be. Once the leader passes away, you've got to get someone else. But it was really sad that after all of that, none of them were ready. Jesus even rose, Jesus brought people back from the dead, and they still didn't have that faith yet. We had the women going to the tomb to anoint and wrap his body in spices. We had the disciples seemingly going back to their old lives, 
And even Thomas, where we get that saying, doubting Thomas, after the report from the other disciples, he's risen, he's risen, he's risen. Not until I put my fingers into the holes. That's really sad. Wouldn't even trust the disciples, his own, that he's followed around for three and a half years. And so what can we do, learning from this? What can we do to not fall into these types of pitfalls? Yes, we know that the Lord has risen. We may sometimes act more like Thomas at times, feeling a bit like doubting, or where am I at in this season, or life's really tough, Lord, where are you? But what can we do to supercharge our faith in the risen Lord Jesus? That's what we're here to do. I don't want to tell you about the Bible and let you go on your way, but this needs to transform your life because you need something to bite onto to get through another week. I was saying it this morning. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have made a declaration of war to Satan and to this world. You have said, I am not following the grain or the course of this world anymore. I am against it. Heart of hearts, I am against it. And Satan will raise up a banner against you because you are the light that he must extinguish or you will bring others to faith. You will impact his kingdom of darkness, the kingdom that Jesus said that the gates would not overcome. And so when you take Jesus at his word and his resurrection is in your heart, you make yourself dangerous to the elements of this world, to the prince of the power of the air that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Right now, you have laid charge against them and you want them. What do you want them for? To bring them to Christ. And so the more exceeding our faith is, the brighter the light glows, the more impact we are going to have on those around us, but then you're going to come under more oppression and attack. He's not going to let you get off light. And so we need to come here to be transformed, to glow again and go out and see what God has in store for the Clarence Valley. And so learning from last week, there might be something in that call of Jesus when he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's probably not the typical job interview, is it? That's what it was. Who is Peter? On this rock. Peter was going, Peter is right then. He was being made. The one who denied Jesus three times is the one who is going to be made leader of the disciples. And the Spirit of God is going to burst forth through his mouth, and the church will be established. He is a significant pinnacle part of the church. He is the disciple for the Israelite. It's incredible. And at his job interview, he gets challenged. Challenged to love Jesus. As I say, that is not a normal job interview. It's a requirement that he love him. Now let's read from John chapter 15, verse 8. To 14. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay his life down, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, if you read wrong there, you would have heard, do what I command, obey God's law, holy and solely. But if you read right, what was the command? To love one another. You want joy in the Lord. You want to be pleasing. You want to bear fruit. Love one another. By bearing this fruit, you show that you are my disciples. But I want to say the same thing I said last week. What is the hinge by which this all comes together? Because it's very hard, Jesus, when you tell me to love people. It actually really really sucks at times. It's hard work loving people. I know you here have family, friends, loved ones, God forbid enemies. And it's really hard. But here's what brings it all together. What did Christ say before this command? I love you as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. Okay, Jesus, now you're making it a bit more understandable to me. It's really hard to love people of this world at times. It's really hard to sometimes even get along with brothers and sisters that you've called me to, Lord. You're asking me to give what is unnatural, this agape love, which is self-sacrificial love. And you've called me to that. But Lord, the knowledge that you love me, the knowledge that you've called me into your love and to abide in that place, that, that I am to focus on. And through that, my heart is open to love sacrificially, to love to the nth degree. That's what binds this church together. It should be the love that Christ has poured out upon us, that the Father has opened up in us, and it causes it to project from us. Grace received, grace given. It has to be that way. It can't be of the natural heart. It can't be just from you alone because it will falter and it will fall apart. And you are, my friends, if you do what I say. And what I say, if you want to obey my command, it is to love one another, but make sure it hinges upon the love that Christ has for you. That's where the power is. After this awkward interview, Peter eventually met the criteria of loving Christ and also loving the people of God. 
See, he wasn't ready back then. When Christ was calling him to a love so far surpassing anything he was ready for, he wasn't quite ready yet. And then Jesus prophesies how he, die, how he will die and says, follow me. And what Jesus was saying there was, you will love me the way that I'm commanding you. You will get there. And imagine those words ringing in your ear as you're being headed off to be executed. Follow me, follow me, follow me. He actually had his heart open up to the self-sacrificial love. But not only that, before that time in his own writings, we see that his love poured forth for those in fellowship with him, his brothers and his sisters. First Peter 1.22 now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, again, he stresses, love one another deeply from the heart. And then soon after, he gave his life away for Christ. He wasn't ready by the waters, but something made him ready. We'll get into that. But what of the lead pastor to the Gentiles? There's two super apostles or two great apostles in the word of God. We have Peter, who is the, the bedrock of the faith, of the one who declares the glories of Christ. I don't believe he's a pope, but what I believe is the power that Jesus was speaking about that he would found his church on was the declaration that Peter said when he called him the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. That is what the church is founded on, not a man. Jeez, have we picked up this? Men don't do too well. We've never represented. Go name me someone, Abraham, Moses, David, failures. And we'll continue to fail, but there's one who doesn't. The one whom Peter confessed, the Lord Jesus. That's Peter. What about Paul? Paul was given to the church for the Gentiles. Now, I'm not going to complain, but we only got, we only got one apostle. They got a lot more than us, but that's okay. We'll move on. What did he say? Philippians 3, verses 10 to 12. He says, this is his heart. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or, uh, or obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's like, he's like, I've already got this. I know. I, 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 he's like, I taught justification. I know where I'm going when I die. But setting aside the past, I'm going to strain forward as though I'm taking hold of it myself. I know I've got it, but I'm taking hold of it myself just as much as Christ has taken hold of me. I'm not going to stop there. I actually want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. I want to live as my Lord lived because Jesus promised that if I follow him, I am going to incur for myself suffering. I have made war against this world. I have made war against the enemy. A love that eclipses this world. And so we're starting to get, a, to get a picture here of what it looks like 
to bring about a supercharged faith. It doesn't rely on you mustering up enough emotion. And we see this across the world. Yeah, a lot of bursts of emotion, but where's the substance? I tell you what, the substance comes through your intimate relationship with Christ. It must come through Christ. That is our access. If he has the treasure trove of gifting, where else do we go? Where else do we go? And so I just want to read for you maybe something that destroys faith. Something that's going to corrode what I'm talking about. Because some of you may even look at me now and go, there was a season, Dan, where I was walking with Jesus side by side. I felt the presence of his majesty resting on me. But Dan, I don't feel that now. I'm not there at the moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. This could be, this could be one of those things that's really hindering that relationship. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. See, what can happen to our focus? We are set upon Jesus, but then we get caught up in civilian disputes and issues and worries of this world. Instead of seeing ourselves as an athlete or a soldier ready to suffer for the name, we become used to the comfort. We become used to the laxivity of life. And yeah, I'll preach a gospel to you today about Jesus. But right now, Satan's preaching a gospel to this world. Put your feet up. Take it easy. Don't worry, Jesus ain't coming today. And you've got, you've got weeks, you've got months, you've got years. Don't worry. Rest. That's what he preaches. Distraction, distortion of the truth. Or maybe simply it's this. In 1 John 2.15, this is worse. We understand if a Christian needs to recommit themselves to the service of Christ. And I give you that opportunity at the end of this service. But it can be far more fatal than that. And we read from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That's where you've gone from being distracted, from being out of step and out of line as a soldier, maybe not running as hard as you were, competing, following the rules, but you've just totally taken a 180 turn and your love is beginning to increase and accumulate for the things of this world. The passions of the flesh is in context here. Run dear brother and sister, if that is you, if you've become so comfortable, if the coming of Jesus has become more of a fantasy for you than a reality, run. And remember how Jesus ended the conversation with Peter. 
follow me. He was talking about his death. Do you know the year, the month, the hour, the minute when you'll die? Some here may say only God knows that. I'll say the moment you confess Christ, that was your coffin. That was you being buried six feet. That was your life ending and a new life beginning. And yet some of us, we've lost sight of that. We're living for ourselves and not living for the Lord Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It's Luke 14, 26. What is Jesus saying? Pursue me more than anything else in your life. Your children, second to me. Your mother, your father, second to me. Your own life, second to me. Lord, these words are harsh. If your love for Jesus eclipses these things, it is easy. It is simple. But if the world is seeping back in, as the tide rises by the beach... These words are difficult. They're hard to hear. I was challenged this week by a non-Christian who said to me, you Christians, you're all about the law and following the rules. That's all it's about. I was going to say I felt like slapping him. I didn't, but I was going to like just overemphasize the point. I was able to say, all I have is freedom. Freedom. How could they understand that? How could they know what that means unless you've been saved? Unless the Spirit of God Himself has taken hold of you and shook you to the core to say that it is freedom in Christ. Liberation. The law is powerless to save because there is no life in the law. There's no life in the law. Where's the life? The life is in the heart of the one who gave the law. That's who we pursue. That's who we love. The law just springs forth from his goodness. And he has called every one of us out. What did he give the law for? That we would cry out for a redeemer. That we would cry out for safety and peace with God, not war. But then you ask, do I obey because I I obey like a slave? Or do I obey because I love like a child of God? We obey because we love. It's not weighty. It's not hard to follow after the Lord if we're in love. If you have a slave-master relationship with God, and Islam certainly does, Hinduism does, I could keep rattling off religions until I go blue in the face. You're nothing but a pawn. But in Christ, we are 
loved. We are brought into fellowship with God, adopted sons and daughters of the Most High. All I have is freedom. Does Jesus need to set the whole law before your face or merely set the heart and watch you take the initiative? See, there's one restriction in our lives. I'll tell you what that is. It's covenantal disobedience. Isn't it funny as a Christian, right? It's not, it's not that we look at the law and think, ah, this mountain I can't climb. Like I can have no relationship with God because I've got no chance of actually scaling that because I am not perfect. I'm incapable of being perfect. That's a horrible relationship. That's what Satan offers you. That's, that's not family relationship. No, the thing that's hard for us is when Jesus opens up his pierced hands and he says, just come to me, it's free. Just come to me and believe in me. Come into my love. And you know what? That's when sin becomes a problem. Not so much that I can't scale the insurmountable mountain, but that I have I've wronged, I have hurt the one who gave up his life to save me. There, there is one among us who can stand up bold-faced and say, you sinner, I judge you, you sinner. And that's Christ. Every, none of you can judge me, and I struggle to judge you, because all of us are painted or tarred with the same brush. We're all sinners. And so, yes, a judge will hand down a sentence for someone who's embezzled money or lied or stolen or murdered. But at the end of the day, that judge has done all of those things and more in his heart or her heart. And so he hands down or she hands down a sentence, but it's in a sense not perfect. But Christ can stand over the head of all of us and he will cast judgment. But let's take grace while grace may be found. Let's believe upon his name while there is still time. And let's serve him by loving one another as we have been commanded in Scripture. And not lip service. I'm talking about agape service and love, sincere love towards one another. Remember how I said last week, it's sort of as a vulnerability there. It's like when Christ is asking Peter again and again, do you love me? And I'm even feeling the tension like, whoa. This would be really hard to stand there face to face with Jesus after I've just betrayed him and he's just hitting me again and again. And it's sort of that awkward love that Christ is calling us to, but not to look outwards first, to look to him and then allow that love to flow out through us as people. To desire to lay our life down for him as he has laid it down for us. And why? Romans 5, 7 and 8 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That communion we just took, that overwhelming joy and love that you carry even on your darkest day, it is because at the darkest and most horrible hour of your life, that will be judgment day. Christ will be there, ready to receive.
He receives our sins. They're paid for on the cross and we have newness of life. He has risen from the dead. God demonstrates his own love for us in the sending of his son. So as I began this sermon saying, replace replace the world with someone greater than it. That's going to give you the power to continue to abide in the love of Christ. But then you might even say to me, after all of this, I still struggle. That's real. That's a tall order, Dan. You don't know my life. It's hard. And that's why I want to say to you now, that's why exactly the Father left us the Holy Spirit. You have a helper. You have a comforter. You have the Spirit that is giving us and transmitting the love that the Father and the Son have for us. And once you start to seek the Lord, He will make Himself known. Let go of the world. Take hold of the promises of Christ and it will be well for your soul. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. They're all the things that we need right now. We need more power, we need more love, and we need self-discipline. Love is where the rubber hits the road. You can have all the excitability, enthusiasm, and intelligence to serve God, but without love, it is hollow and lifeless. And just as I close up here, I want to challenge you now. If you need to recount the cost of following Jesus, if you need to take a step back from the world that you may have walked into, I say let it be today that you do that. Step back into a relationship that is exceedingly in love with Jesus and allow your heart to be opened by the Spirit of God in order to love the people in this room and the church universal, other churches as well. It includes them. And the last thing I'll say is this, just to give a demonstration or a picture of God's love. If you told a child up in North Queensland, don't go swimming in the water, son. There's crocodiles in them waters. And the son, full of disobedience and recklessness, decides at the moment your back is turned to run into those waters and splash about. You turn, you see the crocodile coming. He's coming in fast. He's a big one. What do you do? As you're screaming, get out, get out. He's ignoring you. He's disobedient. What do you do? A very immature young guy said to me, you let him get what's coming. But if you've, if you've, if you've experienced the love of a family member, you're not able to allow that. And so you go headlong in, and if it's a choice between the child and yourself, you jump yourself into those jaws, if that's what it takes. And you see, that's sort of, I guess, a sense or a picture of what the law was to us. That's the teeth of the crocodile. That's where you get what you deserve for your disobedience. But instead of God leaving you there, the love of the Father was poured out in such a way that God took 
those jaws of the law for you and he got pulled under and he was dragged to his death and you live in newness of life. Now my question to you is this, do you go back to the waters or do you live in recognition of the life that was given to save you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Lord, that we are able to, even now, recommit ourselves to your service, recommit ourselves to your love. Lord, the world will say that we have millennia until your son returns, but Lord, we are to be people ready at the door to open it at your arrival. And Lord, I want us to be a people that are ready and waiting now. And so Lord, I pray that your word would have its full impact upon your people by your spirit right now, God, and that we will enjoy the joy of Jesus, that we will take up the love of the Father in sending the Son and serve one another and obey the command of Christ to love each other as you have loved us, Jesus. We are your servants. We yield to your authority, your kingship, Lord, and we pray that you will empower us by your Spirit, God, to continue to fight the good fight. In Jesus' name, amen.